You're listening to highlights from the Creative Processes interview with Mark Gottlieb, a vice president and top-selling literary agent at Trident Media Group. This podcast is supported by the Jan Michalski Foundation. There's a lot of apprenticeship in our industry because historically it had to be that way because otherwise what you would have in publishing, which there's still a lot of this, but it's a bunch of English majors trying to make sense of how to run a business, right? Because book publishing or working at a literary agency like a talent agency for authors like I do is at the crossroads of creative and business. And if you didn't have that kind of apprenticeship, someone to learn from at the company where you work, then again, we would all just be English majors just trying to feel our way in the dark or something. So although that's been changing in recent years, I mentioned When I was going out for schools, I said to myself, okay, I could go to Harvard or Columbia and get a degree in comparative literature, but what would that teach me about book publishing? I'd know a lot about books. I'd know a lot about reading and stories, which is also the essence of what we do, but I wouldn't know a lot about book publishing. So since then, there are now many more programs in book publishing. You can actually get a a master's in book publishing now, and from many, many different universities like NYU and Columbia, many places have that now. There's a lot of stuff that if we looked at bestsellers lists or we looked at whatever's just kind of selling well and publishing at the moment, it's too tempting to want to just seek out books like that. If something didn't fit the mold, despite the quality of storytelling, you might push something aside. And I've had experiences, even colleagues of mine have had experiences where whether it was for subjective reasons or more so objective reasons, they passed on projects. And I've let a couple of New York Times bestselling books slip through my fingers. It happens because you think to yourself, well, this doesn't look like it could fit the mold, even though the storytelling is good. And so what I was grappling with just this morning, I thought to myself, I have to let the storytelling speak for itself. And it has to be about that at the end of the day, because that will always win out. You know, it's like the adage, if you chase money, you will always be in debt. But it's really money that follows success. And so it's like an artist has to have good intentions, be pure of heart, I think, to make good art in a lot of ways. And in a similar fashion, to find good storytelling that goes on to be successful, you cannot fixate simply on, well, here's what's working well in the marketplace. It has to be about the essence of the storytelling. Growing up, our walls were lined with shelves of books. At one point, we had a like a library where, you know, one of those ladders that is on wheels and it's two floors. So I remember always being around a lot of books. And in every home we had, we've always had a lot of books. There were a lot of books that, I guess, yes, chimed with me at different ages. Of course, I was raised on all the kinds of books that every other kid was reading, like Dr. Seuss and Goodnight Moon and things like that. You know, the way people behaved around around books was always very interesting to me. There's a blog article where I wrote about this, but there's a very controversial figure in psychology by the name of Wilhelm Reich, and his books are still published by FSG. He was a lab assistant to Sigmund Freud and a contemporary of people like Albert Einstein, very brilliant guy. He is believed to have coined the term the sexual revolution. Some people might go as far as to say like the 1960s and the hippies and all that could not have happened were it not for someone like this guy. But because he had book titles that were very controversial and he himself was a very controversial guy, 
I was embarrassed for my friends to come over to my home and to see these books on our shelves. Like, I did not want them to see titles of books of his, so I would turn the books around. I would face the spines toward the wall, not realizing that when you do that, those books stand out even more. People begin to wonder why those books were turned around, and they want to see what they're about. And so my friends who would come over to my home would inevitably discover some of these books of his. Almost anything can sell a book. There's controversy that can sell books. Obviously, for Harry Potter, it was the movie that really helped. And uh, that's the funny thing. J.K. Rowling did not really make money at first with the first movie. It was in later movies, all the merchandising and things that kind of happened later on. And really what the movies did for the books, getting people to camp outside of bookstores and things like that. And in terms of book banning, you're right. There are some things in book which would be really tame today, and yet find some way to offend someone. And the irony of it all is in America, we're all about freedom of speech, you know, protecting people's rights and all of that. You have First Amendment rights, freedom of speech, what have you. But banning books is, flies directly in the face of that. Chicago recently had to, it's the only state which has gone and done this, but they enacted a law where you cannot ban books, which is ironic, again, given the fact that we already have laws that protect freedom of speech. So why do we need another law that prevents the limitations of freedom of speech. It's an interesting time to be living in for sure. I mean, I'll give you a good example. My assistant who I work with, she is finishing up her master's degree at NYU in publishing. And as a part of that, she has to do like a capstone project where, you know, she presents a thesis and they all had to start like a small publishing business, a mock business as a part of it. So she started a publishing company that specializes in banned books. Like, I never thought when I was in college that there would be the need for something like that, but there really could be. Oh, sometimes I think fiction is sort of like self-help in disguise. After we go through a journey and a story and we live the experience with the characters or the narrator, we come through the other side with a new understanding of everything. And in a way, like a message has been imparted to us on an even deeper level than if we just read it in like a plain nonfiction book that's trying to convey concepts to us. It makes it such that we've had an actual lived experience along with a character, which is a very very, very powerful thing. People ask, how come your books are so, so eclectic? I mean, I'm looking at, you can't see because it's kind of behind the screen here on the other side of my computer here, but there are some different covers from forthcoming books pinned up against the wall here. So just kind of going through them with you, just so you get a sense of the variety. There's a book called The Science of Weird Shit, Why Our Minds Conjure the Paranormal by Chris French. He is an academic at the London School of Economics. He's a a psychologist, and he teaches people about anomalistic psychology. He explains UFOs, of course, are not real. Zombies aren't real. Ghosts aren't real. But what in the human mind convinces some people they've seen a ghost or they've seen a UFO? And then directly next to that, you have this book, A Very Dinosaur Christmas by Adam Wallace. It's a children's picture book like about a dinosaur that hijacks Christmas. And then... You know, right near that is a thriller, a graphic novel. The other one's a memoir written by Ginger Minch, who's a famous drag queen. Then right next to that is actually a Christian nonfiction book about self-improvement. So you couldn't have like six book covers next to each other that were more different. But I kind of love that. So I have a colleague here, Dan Strone, who really specializes in celebrity memoir and kind of has made his name in that space. So he's worked with a lot of authors who are looking to adapt their stories into memoirs. And so people have come to know him for that kind of book. 
We work with also very literary authors like Michael Ondaatje, who wrote The English Patient, and that movie got tons and tons of Academy Awards and nominations. We have very big name children's book authors like Wonder by R.J. Palacio, which it's a number one New York Times bestseller. It's still in that spot on the list years after publication, you know, published in over 50 countries. The movie with Julia Roberts, set to be a Broadway play with the producer of Hamilton, and it's won every major awards required reading in school. So we have books in all these different corners of publishing that are really kind of like big brands in their own right. And uh, it's pretty neat being able to help books and stories into the world like that. I mean, it makes you feel like it's not just, okay, this is a sexy job or this is an interesting job, right? It's more so that you make the world a slightly better place. Like I could be working for a big oil company, making a lot of money working for Texaco or Exxon, whatever, but I'd just be polluting the world. <laughs> I wouldn't be making really the world a better place. And I feel like stories help to make people and in turn the world a better place. And so that's for me anyway, the best part of it, other than again, not being necessarily a storyteller myself, although maybe one day, who knows? I mean, I've written some things like introductions to books and things like that. But I think you get to live vicariously too. When you support an artist and you help their work into the world, it's like you see their dream come true and how happy that makes someone. And then you live for that moment, a very special thing. You know, I think that the important thing for people to really know about storytelling is that books are sort of like the oil paintings of new media. You know, it's a very fine art form, an old art form, and a story exists in everything, whether it's a photograph, a painting, a song, a movie. It all began with a story and stories have been here from like the dawn of time. They're going to forever be in our existence. But I think people should just always have curious minds and seek out stories and storytelling and try to see the story in everything, not just look at things for face value. We hope you've enjoyed listening to these highlights. To listen to the latest episodes or learn more about participating in exhibitions or interviews, click on subscribe. Thank you for listening.